Study books, everybody got the books, books, books. You guys got your new equipment? Yes, sir. <laughs> if not, it'll be some little more will be handed out shortly. Page one Gospel Proclamation to Jews and Gentiles. And the central truth, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to all who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we, we celebrate that. Agreed? We celebrate the forgiveness of sins, but we also celebrate eternal life. And the thing that, the thing that sets in, the older you get, some of you older ones, you help me out here now. The whole, <laughs> what, sets in, what sets in the older you get is that this life is not all there is. And when I, you know, I, I go back, I remember, I remember what it was like when I was young, and I remember my mentality, I remember my perspective, and how I looked at life, and life ending at any time soon was not on my list. Like, uh, life uh, wrapping up, because the way I looked at it, life was solely dependent upon uh, my age, and I was 15, 18, 20, who cares, right? I'm, I'm going to live forever. Now, now, keep in mind, I've been serving the Lord since I was 16 years old. And so, but even then, I did not have the correct perspective on life. And that life, at some point, has to end. And that's the thing, as I've gotten older, the thing that really starts to set in is that this thing is fragile. It's like called life. It's very fragile. And nothing lasts forever. Amen. And so with that said, that makes you turn to the next, the, the alternative. It's like, okay, what is the alternative? I mean, if, if there is, if this life doesn't last forever, then what happens when it's over? That's a good question. That's a really good question. And so the Bible very specifically points out that we are a race, humanity, that is plagued with sin. We had a problem since the beginning, and a tough one. And the only way that it could be resolved was through Christ. We had a sin problem. We had a sin problem. We still have a sin problem, as long as we're living in this body. And that the resolution was Christ. And so, as Christ come into the picture... The Bible points out that if we accept him as Lord of our lives and we repent of our sins, that he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. Now that changes something. What that does is, is that it changes your eternal destination because without Christ, biblically, we are destined to hell. We are going to go to a place that was not necessarily prepared for us, but yet we chose uh, a path other than Christ and it leads us to that location. By accepting Christ as our Savior and repenting of our sin and living a life away from sin and away from the things that are contrary to God, that we are promised that we will live and reign with him in heaven forever. The second 
choice is the one that I want. Amen. I'll take option B. <laughs> I'll take heaven. But this, the, the point I want to make as we start this thing is I, I, want to, I want to really point that out, is that this thing does not last forever. And even if you do, by chance, you get, to, you get the privilege and the honor of living 85, 90 years on this earth. If you get that privilege, if you get that honor to live that long, it still has to end. And if your life is taken from you quickly and swiftly and it ends early, it still goes to the same location. And so I want, I want us to weigh that and consider that, that as much as I'd like to, regardless of age, it doesn't really matter. We're all going to have to give account for our actions when this thing is over. I want to live as long as I can. It's kind of ingrained into us, right? It's ingrained into us. Life is ingrained into you. You want to live. You want to live. It's ingrained in you. It's put inside you. You want to go from day to day, and you want to live as long as possible. But regardless of whether we live that long life or whether it's taken from us early, uh, we're, all gonna, we're all going to have to make sure before we leave this earth that we are prepared to leave. You got to make sure you're ready. <laughs> you got to make sure that eternity uh, is in view, and that eternity is something that you're thinking of, because there is an eternity. There is, there is a life after this one. You will not just disappear and dissipate into nothingness. There will be an eternity in one place or the other. I, I don't recall if it was uh, Brother John or or one of the evangelists comes. Uh, but it's better, you think it's better to live your life like you think that there is a heaven than to not live your life like that. And then when the end comes, yeah. there you are standing there going, wow, they were right. Yes, exactly. And depart from me, I never knew you. Right, it's like it's, it's a little late to be thinking, man, I think I messed up. That's a good point. Um had a thought and I just it just slipped my mind but yes that's a very good point um, you, you definitely you definitely don't want to be caught on the wrong side of that because once life is can, can we agree can we agree this morning that regardless of how you believe that when life is over it's over yeah. there's no redoing anything and I wish there was that was just Misty and I were just talking about this the other day I was like it seems like when you finally get it figured out in certain areas of your life it just keeps passing and it just goes and goes and goes and I'm like it's like I need two lives. I need one to master this thing and figure it out, and then give me another 80 years to actually live the uh, through the mistakes that I had made in the past life. Amen. Do you ever feel that way? Is it, am I the only one that feels that way? No. I want to redo. <laughs> Sometimes I want to redo. Let me hit the redo button. Can we do this over again? No, you don't get a redo. It's this life and, and nothing else. This is it. So uh, there's a lot at stake. That was the thought. There's a lot at stake in this life. There's a lot at stake. Eternity's at stake here. So, good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, under let's get started. Today's lesson begins a unit of study on the final 14 chapters of the book of Acts, which focus primarily on the ministry of Paul, also known as Saul, and those who traveled with him. God had told Ananias that Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to people of Israel. These lessons follow Paul as he fulfilled that prophecy, but the lessons apply to us as well because we are called to proclaim 
the gospel to our world. That's what we've been commissioned to do. If you are saved and you know Christ is your Savior, then we have been commissioned by the Great Commission to proclaim the gospel. So the first thing you have to understand is what is a proclamation or what, is a, what does it mean to proclaim? Uh, by definition, a proclamation is a public or official announcement, especially one dealing with a matter of great importance. Would you say that the story of Christ is of great importance? Amen. Okay. So I look at this a couple different ways, and, I'll, and we'll probably get into this a little more as we go. There's, there's more than one way to proclaim, first of all. There's more than one way to proclaim. There's the, uh, there's the all-out pro- proclamation where the preacher stands on the street corner and catches bypassers as they're coming by. That's like the, like the literal sense of proclamation, like you're out there proclaiming, like literally out there telling everybody that passes by about Christ. And then there's the, the lifestyle proclamation that you, you confess with your mouth that you believe in Christ, and then you let your lifestyle actually follow the things of Christ, and then people see that, and your proclamation is your lifestyle. All right. Amen. I would venture to say that it's a mixture of the two. Obviously, I don't know. Maybe you were on the street corner proclaiming the gospel recently, but the majority of us aren't <clears throat> doing that per se. As much as we are proclaiming within our circles, proclaiming to the people that were around, and then leaving it out in front of them. Proclamation. You're proclaiming that. You're not shy about that. People know who you are. They know your name. They know what you stand for. It's important that people know what you stand for. Even if it rubs them the wrong way a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. That's you. You kind of need to. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, was it? Didn't the gospel, I mean, think about it. Didn't the gospel rub you the wrong way a little bit before you were saved? Didn't it kind of, how? He's talking to me. That hurts. That's rough. Pastor said, the pastor said, well, he said some stuff this morning that was hard to swallow. Yes, it's meant to rub the wrong way. I always, I always wondered about that too. And I struggle with this too, is why do we think that we're going to get rubbed the wrong, wrong way, respond to it, we come to know Christ, and then you want to share the gospel, and you think it's all going to be peaches and cream. <laughs> if it rubbed you the wrong way, I assure you it's going to rub the ne- person you talk to next the wrong way. Amen. It's going to hit them off wrong. They're probably not going to like you. Or they're probably going to call you names. Or say, thank you. When I, was, when I was a young Christian, working in the warehouse, 18, 19 years old, confessing Jesus, around a bunch of guys? Ooh. Man, I could tell you story after story of the fun I had with that. But that's also part of the walk, too. It's part of the walk. I didn't always do things right. I didn't always do things right, but I can I can attest to the fact that it was it was it's difficult, and it rubs people the wrong way, and they don't like that. So you got to accept that. You got to accept that proclamation brings disturbance in your circles. All right, let, let me ask this: You ever you ever been trying to minister to your family, your own family members? Mm-hmm. Hey, would you like to come to church? Not with you. I think there's more of y'all that can say amen to that that you want to actually confess. That's all right. I go, I go with anybody but you, because of the dissension that's within the family. But you see, sometimes that's difficult. And you think, how many of you have come to the conclusion at one time or another that you know what, Tanner, it's better that I don't say anything at all. So if I say anything about Christ, 
it rubs them the wrong way. Now, I will say, no, I'm not telling you to stir up trouble. And it, especially when you know it doesn't sit well and you do it on purpose. You're like, yeah, you know, well, I'm going to hit them good today. That's not actually the right approach either. But you still have to hold to your stance and your position. You hold to it. You don't let it go. And at the right moment, you make an insert. You minister and you proclaim that to your family. Listen, I'm talking some fundamental stuff this morning. Our job is to proclaim and to be proclaimers. That's what we do. We proclaim. We make sure people know who we are. We make sure people know uh, where we stand. I'll give you an example. And I, and, I, and I say this with humility. I want you to understand. Don't take me, don't take me wrong. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not lifting myself up. I just There are certain things that I have to make stances in in my own personal life. So my boys, um, they started playing AAU basketball recently. And it was something that we had wanted to get them involved in. But we all, anyone that knows anything about traveling ball knows that they are extremely, extremely serious about their stuff. And they like to play all weekend long. And so I talked to the coach, and him and I had a conversation. And I said, look, I'm going to tell you up front. I said, I am okay with, it, with playing my boys on Friday. I'm okay with playing my boys on Saturday. But I will not by any means be playing any basketball on Sundays. We won't be doing it. And I said, now, I know that may not sit well, and maybe we're not qualified to be on this team if that's the case. But you tell me now because that's my position. My position is, is if these are two-day tournaments, Sundays, we're out. Saturday night, we're leaving. We're going home. He went as far as making sure that some of these tournaments were on Saturdays only. And I told him I appreciated that very much because I'm not moving from my stance. We're not moving. And, and I didn't care. And I, like I said, take that the right way. I'm just talking about my position on that topic. We can't move from this. He knows where I stand. He knows where I'm at. He knows we're not doing anything but that. This is the way it's going to be. And because when he set the schedule out, all the tournaments was on Friday, uh, Saturdays and Sundays. And I told him, I said, man, that's perfectly fine. Just want to remind you, we won't be at any of those tournaments on Sundays. Just want to remind you. And then they issued a new schedule. And he said, hey, man, I, I, I cut this thing up a little bit so you guys could be there for the whole tournament on Saturday. We were in a tournament yesterday, one-day tournament, and we won the whole thing. Wow. Whole thing. I think God honors your stance. Amen. This is what I believe. I think he honors your stance. I really do. Regardless of what anyone else thinks, I say, we're not going to move from this. My boys know that. They know. They knew it when we got into it. I said, y'all know. We ain't going to be there on Sunday. That's fine. Y'all know. Okay. Just as long as y'all understand, we have an understanding. We're in agreement. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way to make a stand. But you're going to have to do it because that's your proclamation. That's your proclamation. Okay. Let's keep moving. Barnabas and Paul, first called Saul, had been active in ministry for some time. Barnabas appeared first in Acts 4 as a generous giver. Later, he introduced Paul to the church at Jerusalem and traveled to Syria and Antioch to strengthen new believers. Paul experienced a dramatic conversion from persecutor of Christians to spokesman for Christ. Now, you did not live the life that Paul did, but Paul's life is kind of a theme of everybody's life. You were a persecutor. We looked at Christians as being oddballs. Didn't we? <laughs> Y'all were the oddities. You guys were weird. Bible thumpers. You ever been accused of being a Bible thumper? Sure. I've heard it. I've been accused of being a Bible thumper. I'm like, if that's that's 
If that's the only thing you can levy against me, that's great. I mean, if you, if you call me a Bible thumper, if that's the worst thing you can come up with, then that's perfectly fine. So we, he kind of set the tone in his own life of, of the way he treated Christians, and then all of a sudden he's changed. And then he's the spokesman for Christ. Do you think he felt a bit unqualified? He did, and even was very vocal about it because of the way that he persecuted Christians. Guys, he had Christians killed. He had them killed. Now, not by his own hand, but he was the one holding coats as they were doing the stoning. And so when, when you think about going from one life to the other that's the flow of things you were once this and now you are that now you're a spokesman for christ and i think on a on an overall everybody feels unqualified let's just let's just address it directly when it comes to speaking or being a spokesman for christ everybody in this room feels unqualified we feel like i really don't i don't really have an awesome story to tell i really don't it's funny how people weigh that too it's like oh i don't have a like a a really awesome testimony. I didn't die and then go to hell and then come back and have a story to tell. It's like, for some reason, we believe that that's what has to happen now in order for you to have a, an accurate testimony. No. The majority of people haven't experienced that. So what's the testimony? The testimony is your life. The testimony, listen to me very carefully, your testimony is your failures turned correct by Christ. Amen. And you heard me talk about this before, and, and we've been into it. The trench is kind of deep on this topic. And, and, and I think Christians, and I'm not telling you to air out dirty laundry when I say this, but you got to understand your past is your testimony. A lot of people, a lot of us try to bury that thing. I'll never speak about this again. Hold on just a minute. Because there's somebody out there that is doing and has done the same thing that you've done. They just haven't found Christ yet. They need to know. that People think... That in order to be qualified in church, so to speak, or to go to church, you got to clean yourself up before you come. I got to have the right tie, and I got to have all these things together. I got to have all these things done correctly. Man, we've gotten way far away from what actually is is being asked of us. So, I want you to consider that and think about um, what your role is in your testimony and what you have available to share with someone else. To give it to someone else. Um, if we agree that Christ has done a great work in our lives, if we all, if I ask you that question, everybody in here raises their hand. Yes, God has done a great work in my life. Christ has done a phenomenal work in my life. Then you have something to share. You have something to share with someone else. Now, is it always going to go down where you get to share the whole story? No, but you're, it's the way you walk. It's the way you live from day to day. It's remembering what you came out of and saying, I'm not going back to that. This is my proclamation. This is the way that I live. That's your testimony. That's every day. Okay. Let's keep moving. I'm trying to get to the test. We'll get there. Um, he then witnessed and debated for him, despite danger of persecution. Now, together in Antioch, Barnabas and Paul would recognize God's call to extend the message of Christ's forgiveness to both Jews and Gentiles. And if you've ever read the story of Paul, you know where he came from. Uh, we talked a little bit about him in the past. He's very educated. He was the man to debate them. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he, was, uh, he was like we've talked about before. He's, he was the apologist. He was debating in the synagogues. He was the one. Now, that's like most people are not going to do that. 
He was on the ground floor with the highest politicians of the day talking about religion and faith, debating them, telling them that they were looking at it the wrong way. Paul was equipped for that. And so it could be easy for you and I to write off and say, well, that was Paul, though. I agree. I think I said it already. Your life is not Paul's life. You are not going to probably live a life like Paul lived. Come out of what Paul came out of. Deliver the way that Paul delivered. But there's still some similarities. I can still draw some lines from Paul's life into ours and that he was willing to confront and offend. He was willing to. He was willing to get right down to the brass heart of it. He was willing to take a stoning for the sake of the gospel. He said, I'm willing to do it. Let's go. You and I, we're going head to head here. Now, I'm saying that's probably not going to be you in that context, but should we be willing to confront those things? I think we should. I think there's some issues going on right now in America that people need to be willing to confront. Church people need to be willing to confront, but they're just simply not. Um, I think the church is still asleep to a lot of extent. I think the church doesn't even realize it is asleep. I do. I believe that. Uh, the, the things that are happening right as, you know, now, and some of the, some of the things that uh, have come out should have the church in an uproar. But they're just as calm and peaceful as ever. <clears throat> now, some would say, some would debate and say, but that's what we're supposed to do, Tanner. We're not supposed to stir up any trouble. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, you forgot what you were supposed to do. You are supposed to stir up trouble with the truth. That's what you're supposed to do, is stir up a little bit of heat. If I kind of put it that way, you stir up a little bit of heat, stir up a little controversy with the truth, because the truth is going to stir up controversy on its own, right? right. Paul was debating with, it, with them in the synagogues about it. Jesus went through it when he was on earth. He was debating them. He was telling the Pharisees uh, that, that they were incorrect in their stance and the incorrect in the way that they were looking at it, and they were so angry with him, they want to have him put to death. <laughs> Spirit of religion. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, that's some ground to cover. All right, page two. Haven, you ready? Okay, go right ahead. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, 
It's necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. Just as you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this commandment when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Very good. Part 1, Commission for the Gospel. These verses describe those who were ministering in the church at Antioch. God gave specific guidance to his people at Antioch when they were worshiping and fasting. Fasting commonly involves abstaining from food for a period of time to focus on God. These times often help us hear from him more clearly. All right, so let's just talk about fasting for just a minute. And I've, um, The phrase was coined a long time ago. Um, that fasting was it was a lost art, the lost art of fasting. Um, that fasting was more common in, in th that day than it is now, and it's and if let's <laughs> it's take it's taken me a lot of years and uh, to to realize this and why it is such a difficult thing. Fasting, first of all, I want you to first of all let's understand what fasting is. Now it's true, fasting most commonly is an extreme version of fasting, is abstaining from food. Obviously, living in the most food prolific country that has ever been on the face of the planet, it's hard to abstain from food. Amen. It is. But that's why it's fasting. Mm -hmm. So what fasting is, by definition, is putting the flesh into submission. Amen. That's what that is. Let's make sure we understand that because I don't want you thinking that fasting uh, is some sort of um, equation that Fasting plus this is going to equal results. It doesn't work that way. Fasting is a part of, and I'll say it like this, fasting is a part of your intimacy with God. Can, is food the only form of fasting that you can do? Of course not. You can fast from other things. But I also want to throw in that while you can fast from other things, don't use that as an escape goat so you don't have to do without food. Now, I also understand that people have medical issues and uh, blood sugar issues, and there's all kinds of reasons why you may not fast in your, uh, your practice of fasting without food. That may not be something that you do. That's, that's beside the point. I'm, I understand that, and, and the Lord gets that. It, it's, it's about being a practitioner of fasting, being somebody who can do without something that they enjoy in order to make sure that the flesh stays under submission and that we get we allow the spirit man to be in control. Because can we agree that the spirit man, when he's in control, we're going God's way, but if the fleshly man is in control, we're going the world's way. Amen. Fasting is a thing that we do or should be practitioners of in order to aid us in that process. I said aid us in the process. It is not a... Trying to think of a good way to explain this. Okay, let me, let me say it like this. Um, fasting does not make God do anything. And there's been some debate over that over the years. Oh, people have this idea that if I fast, then we'll have a great revival. Nope. No, it's not equatable. It's not. It's not an equatable thing. Fasting, when we put that uh, put that flesh under, what that does is that prepares you to receive from God. Amen. 
that prepares you to receive from him. Over the years, a lot of people were, have been have taken that out of context, and they're like, you know, um, fasting to make God do so. I've, I've heard people fasting, you know, I'm going to fast, and God's going God's gonna to grab this person, and he's going to turn them around and make them come to him. I'm like, man, you're going to starve to death. <laughs> you're going to starve to death waiting on the results from that. While you might see some results, don't get confused about what that fasting is for. That fasting is to get your flesh out of the way, not someone else's. <clears throat> and I've made my share of mistakes growing up in the Lord concerning fasting and had some misconceptions about how fasting works. And, and I know even saying it here this morning, it almost feels foreign to talk about fasting because you're like, do without? That's not American. We're Americans. We don't do without. We have everything. And so why would I want to go without, Tanner? Because it's a part of the process of making sure that your flesh goes under. So what do you like? What is it that you really like to take part in? What is it that you that, that satisfy your flesh? I'm not talking about a sinful thing. I'm talking about something that you really, really like. Something that you have you you need to do without that can really punish punish your flesh. And get you in a place in a, into a position where we hear God uh, better. Is it the uh, is it the nightly snacks? <laughs> I'm not trying to get in your business. I'm just saying let's go. Let's agree on something I think is synonymous with American culture. It's late night snacks. There's nothing better than those that piece of cake. And for me, it's a decaf cup of coffee. Somewhere around bedtime. Oh, I like that. But fasting says, I'm going to do without that. I'm going to put that thing to the side. And I'm going to go without it, and I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to spend that time that I would normally have been doing that. I'm going to pray and seek God's face. Amen. And what that does is, is it shows the Lord that I'm willing to do without in order to get closer to you. Amen. I'm willing to do without. And I don't have a, a tremendous amount of time to talk about this, but I want to encourage you. I'm encouraging myself at the same time. This needs to be something that we implement back into our faith again. Amen. If it's something that you're not doing, I'm encouraging you to put to reinstall that back in your faith. And even if it's just one simple thing, start small. You don't have to go on 21-day fasts, 40-day fasts. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I've been all on that spectrum my whole life at different times in my life. I've been up and down that spectrum. And some of the most amazing times I have spent with the Lord have been one-day fasts. One. One day. One meal. Some of the most amazing experiences. It's not, it's not necessarily in the time, but it's the quality of it and the authenticity of it. Wanting to spend time with God. So I encourage you uh, to implement that into your, your life if that's something that it's not there. Okay. So uh, God told those from Antioch to recognize and accept his call on the lives of Barnabas and Saul. He had already called them to the next phase of their ministry. Now he called the church to release them from service in Antioch and willingly send them out to regions far beyond the gospel of Christ, with the gospel of Christ. So, you, you know, a dispatch, dispatching them. In addition to fasting and prayer, the church laid hands on Barnabas and Saul. Laying on hands to set a person forth for ministry took place as early as Moses' commissioning of Joshua. This practice also appears earlier in the book of Acts when apostles commissioned the deacons to serve uh, the practical needs of widows. So, when, when late, there's representation in that. I want you to understand what that is. 
in the early church, uh, the laying on of hands, what that was is that that imparted blessing and healing. It's one of the reasons why we do it now. It's an impartation. There's, there's, there's a representation in that. The Lord had, had commissioned that, and so what they would do is they would lay hands on that. And so it was also a part of the culture. This was an impartation. There was a representation there. It's one of the reasons that we do that. Is that a fix-all? No. Pastor, not had to explain that to people before. Let's, look, just because you come down here and we lay hands on you and we pray for you, that doesn't fix the problem. It's, it's an impartation to go in that direction. Man. Not like you like you know you have you have the leaders lay hands on you and all of a sudden everything just disappears. That would be great. Now we're commissioned to do it. We've been told to do it, so we're gonna do it. But let's make sure we keep it in the right context. Let's keep it in the right perspective. There have been a lot of people come down, I've just been waiting. I've been waiting for you to lay hands on me and pray for me because I know I'm just I'm gonna get what I need right now. And then they come back next week and next month. And next month, we're still laying on hands. We're still laying on hands. When are you going to just start believing it? Amen. It got nothing to do with laying on hands itself. Now, by itself, where's your faith at? Where's your faith? I personally believe, scripturally speaking, that the moment that a person believes, that a moment that a person believes, whatever he's believing or she is believing for, and the word promises it, the moment that it manifests itself in your heart. How many of you ever prayed and you knew? Nobody could tell you otherwise. You knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was going to take place right here. Amen. You knew it. That is faith. Now, the job after that is to hold on to it. It's to hold on to it. It's already manifested. It's there spiritually. It's been done. God's granted it. You asked. It's taken care of. The, the thing that people get caught up in is they keep coming for that laying on of hands because they want the manifestation. You're looking at it the wrong way. The moment that it, remember, faith. Faith is the manifestation of it. Once you feel it here, then it will manifest later. But stop thinking that it has failed because you haven't seen a manifestation of it. You got to have believed it here first. Mm -hmm. And once you have believed here, some people need, just need to go back to that. It's like, I want you, will you do this for me? And will you do, no. When you tell me for sure that your faith is in the right place, then I'll join you. Sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the only person here believing the right thing. When you're praying for somebody, it's like, you, and people quote scriptures like, well, there's two or three are gathered. Yeah, but we're not even in agreement. It's not going to manifest itself unless we're in agreement. Do you believe what you're asking? Because that's a great starting point. Or did you just come down here thinking that we were going to magically lay hands on you and all of a sudden it was going to manifest and you were like, oh, God did it. It doesn't work that way. It's your faith, not mine. It's your faith. So what are you believing for? And do you even believe what you're asking? That's, that's a tough question. Because you've got to measure your own faith. You've got to find out where you stand. I have measured my own faith before, and I'm going to be honest with you. I found myself lacking in many places. I was like, ooh, I'm failing. I've been asking someone else to do that job for me. Brother, would you pray for me? Hey, brother, would you pray for me? And I don't even believe it myself. Come on. And so then I, I, gotta, I back up another step. I'm like, maybe I should ask you to pray that my faith will be in the right place. Help me pray for my faith. My faith's not where it needs to be. Amen. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Amen. You remember that story? Yeah. I believe, but help my unbelief. It starts with faith. It starts with what you believe. It's, there's, not, uh, there's an impartation with the laying on of hands, but it's not the, the cure-all. 
Through this act, the church in Antioch recognized the authority of Christ and his command to make disciples of all nations. Christ himself had chosen Barnabas and Saul to carry out his mission in a specific way. And the local church echoed his choice by sending them out with their blessing. Acts 13, 4 states that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit initiated their mission by speaking to their own hearts. Okay. It says, let me, let me quote it again. The, um, the Holy Spirit initiated their mission by speaking to their own hearts. It did. <clears throat> All right. Let's ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he saying to you? What is he imparting to your life? What has he been dealing with you about? When you pray, what keeps coming to you? That's how I ended up here. <laughs> when I was very young, I was praying, and it was imparted to me. You need to preach my word. You need to get up there, and you need to do it. I was like, no, no. That's someone else. Someone more qualified. Someone better equipped. Someone with an education and some knowledge. Someone else needs to do this. Not me. For surely, not me. I barely got out of high school. Um, how? I didn't go to college. I don't have any degrees. I don't even have a certificate of anything. Why'd you choose me? I, I don't know anyone that's ever got an answer to that one. But with that said, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Amen. Often we are waiting for um, something more climactic. We're waiting for God to speak. And they're, yeah, like just this, like this thundering voice. Or maybe you're waiting for uh, the word to be spoken, and then all of a sudden you get it, and it's like, oh, wow, that's it. That's it right there. Now, sometimes it happens that way. But you, one of the things I, I always want to stress in Christianity is that God speaks directly to the people. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. So, so the majority should be that God is speaking to your heart. We're only here at best three times a week, right? At best three times a week, three days out of seven. So if you're not here getting communicated to from what the pastor is going to give this morning and through teachings and various things that we do here, if you're not getting communicated that way, then how are you getting communicated to? I hope that you're listening yourself. Mm -hmm. Amen. And I hope that you're falling under conviction yourself. And I hope that you're reading God's word on your own, at your bedside or at the table, and shutting the Bible and thinking, man, I've just got some serious improvement to do. I hope that you're getting that on your own, that this isn't just a Sunday thing. Because the Holy Spirit speaks directly to you, and that's why I'm asking you, what is he telling you? What has he been saying to you? Because that's where you need to go. That's what you need to do. Everybody's got a fiery bush. Come on. <laughs> uh, it's that good. still small voice. Yeah. It's not the fiery bush. It is. It's inside. It's inside all of us. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's it, a really it is. There, there. And I, I, I hear it sometimes. You know, the left and the right. Yeah. You know, sure. Yeah. One talked <laughs> in this ear, and yep. the other one. No, we don't it. need to do that. What do we do? We do it anyway. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's sitting there telling you no. Yeah. No, that's a good point. It really is. Let's let's keep let's keep moving. I guess I guess we're going to cover here. Um, where's that? Okay. He confirmed uh, the call by speaking to the assembled body who responded in obedience by commissioning them to the ministry. The Holy Spirit worked through the hearts of the people 
to move Barnabas and Saul, accompanied by John Mark, into their mission. The Holy Spirit works in this way yet today, as individuals are called to be missionaries and to go out from our churches in fellowship with other nations. Okay, this is true. But I don't want you to hide behind the idea that because you want commissioned in some fancy way to go be a missionary in another country, that somehow that you're exempt or that it doesn't apply to you. That's a misconception. I'm not knocking the lesson at all. I get what the lesson is trying to say, but i got to be very careful about allowing you to believe such a blanket statement as something about missionary work and the way this whole thing works. Maybe you are called that way. That would be great. That would be great if people, if, if you felt called to, to go to another country and to missionize that country, that would be fantastic. But we need some missionaries here. Amen. We need some missionaries here, right here. And so, so um, I want to say that I think it's, it's more accurate to say that you need to be paying attention to where God is calling you and the way that he's dealing with you because you have been called to missionary work, whether you know it or not. You have been called to proclaim. So even if it's your little bitty circle, and you think, Tanner, I don't got nothing but a lowly, I got a lowly, low-paying job over here, and ain't nothing really exciting go on. I see the same people each and every day. Nothing big happens. It's just the same thing over and over again. I'm with you. I'm with you, but that's the mission field. That's it. No. It ain't nothing fancy. No, it doesn't look like a movie scene. It's day in, day out lifestyle. Living it in front of people each and every day. You have no idea the way that you've impacted people by the way that you lived. You got no idea. You got no idea the day that you got saved and you decided I'm not going to do that and when you were approached on your job or in your circle by the people that said, hey, let's continue to do this and you said, no, I'm not doing that no more. You have no idea the impact that you made. You said, well, Tanner, they never came to church with me and I still see them. They still cussing. They still living the same life. You don't, get, you don't get it. You ain't getting it. You are in the mission field and you impacted them. You did your job. You did what you were supposed to. Too often we're looking... We're looking stateside, somewhere else, thinking that there's a better way to accomplish it. And, and most often, the mission field is right in front of your face. Yeah. It's right there. And it's, not, and it's not fancy, and it's not pretty, and it wouldn't even make a good biblical story. <laughs> but that's what you've been called to do. So we stay faithful in that. Well, we look at this, at Paul, you know, changed. Because, you know, the Spirit come upon him. Yeah. But if you want the Spirit to come upon you, you're going to have to get down and really get You got to go. You got to get after it. What, what you're doing. Yeah. Because I got saved. Then I went back out in the world. I know this happened to Paul, too, because he got crucified nearly mm -hmm. with, with the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, I met a person that said, wasn't you the old boy, <laughs> you know, that used to be over fighting them chickens? Right. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, but that wasn't me. He said, well, that was. I said, well, it was me, but I'm a different person now different than I person. was then. Yeah. yeah. I said, I give it up. Right. And later on, you know, they done away with that, and it's against the law to do it. Right. But uh, back then it wasn't. Sure. And I quit nine years before uh -huh. they put it, you know, they voted it, it was against the law. Well, like you said, like you're saying, Jim, I mean, that's a proclamation. Yeah. You're, you proclaim that. And, and just uh, witnessing to him. I don't know what effect it had, but 
So I told him, I said, I don't do that anymore because I'm a different person. Yes. I said, God has made me different. Nothing fancy, right, Jim? Nothing fancy. Just stopping the chicken fighting. Proclamation. But first, you got to want to do it. You gotta, yeah, you gotta absolutely. Do That's good. Because God told me, I was prayed and prayed. I don't know how many times I've had to alter, <laughs> cried and slang a snot and everything else, <laughs> asking God to deliver me. And he finally, he said, Jimmy, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can do anything? He said, yeah, but you don't want me to. Not really. You didn't want to want me to. Yeah. He said, now, if you want to. You'll do it. Did I do it? You'll do it. And he did. I agree. That's good. Go ahead. I, I just want to share it. So, so in Oklahoma, as an Oklahoman, mm -hmm. we're all mandated reporters to report child abuse, elder mm -hmm. abuse, yeah. whatever. As Christians, we're all mandated reporters to report what God has given to us and what God has done for us. Right. And so, I mean, it just goes along. So Yeah, I mean, it does. It's kind of a... Uh, just synonymous it really is just with the the lifestyle that we live that you, you we put that out there and we make sure it's accurate that's the make sure the information is accurate good reporter is the information is accurate so we make sure that information is accurate make sure that your your life matches up with what you say that it does that's accuracy all right excellent let's keep moving um we can bless newly appointed missionaries with our finances and with our prayers as they travel to sometimes remote locations and countries uh often under difficult conditions to share the gospel um, man, I ain't gonna try to get into this the whole money thing right now. I really don't. But I'm I'm just gonna tell you this, and I, I agree with Pastor on this um, that that America is the missionizing capital of the whole world, mm -hmm. and this is true. But I want you to understand the reason that it is. This is closely connected with finances. The um, I think I I looked and I looked at some statistics. I think it said. And I don't, I can't remember exactly where this come from, so don't take this as totally accurate. It could be old information too. I don't suspect it's gotten much better. I think two point, was it 2.5% of people that go to church actually give into the church financially. And that's only, uh, there's 25% of people, of believers that come to church that don't even give anything at all. They don't give anything. And for, for the life of me, I've always been dumbfounded over the idea that somehow we don't want to give in to the organizations that we're a part of like they're going to continue to exist without financial stability. It doesn't even make sense. I've heard more debate and people get so upset and frustrated when you start talking about tithing and them giving their money. The gospel's free. Well, fine. Don't give anything. We'll see how long this church stands. We'll see how long that works. And it's not going to last long. It's going to crumble without financial aid. All right, well, let's transfer that to missionary work. How do you think these people make those flights and get over there? they got to have money. Oh, it's, it's great. It's just great to talk about faith when you ain't the one giving the money. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that. Come on. It's great to talk about faith when you're not the one giving the money. But faith without works is dead. And if you got a faith and you believe it, then you give into it. That's how it works. What are you saying, Tanner? You saying I need to give more money? I'm not telling you to do anything. You do whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you to do. But I'm telling you, nothing runs for free. Especially in America. Anybody's land taxes go up lately? 
Nothing runs for free. And so when we start talking about fundamental stuff, I don't even really like to debate the idea. Yeah, it's not because it's not an idea. It's biblical. I could show you biblical scripture and I can argue tithes. Sure, I can do that. But I'm going to take you back. Before I, even, before I even set the stage and argue with you about tithes or debate that, I'm going to go back to the beginning and just tell you, this thing ain't going to work without money anyway. That's before you tithes. We're just going to talk about the thing that is not going to exist anymore if you decide you don't want to give. So missionary works the same way. You say, man, I want to see the gospel go out. Then give into it. You want to see, you, you know a missionary organization that you trust? Micah Smith has been our missionary for, for years and years. He's come here. He showed us what he does. Uh, Pastor, if I'm not mistaken, I think Micah had even said that this is one of the givingest small churches that he has ever come across in his time uh, doing the work that he does. He said, I've never seen the likes of the giving that come from this church. That's, that's fantastic. Was it, at one time, Pastor, wasn't it like $1,000 a, a, a water well? And that, is it still that price? Is it 10000 I don't remember. Well, anyway, we give into this, and they set these water wells up, and they use the water wells as a source of ministry. You're taking the water into villages and places that don't have access to clean water. And so as they're doing that, in the in the in the, the the disguise of we're here to give you clean water and and medical aid, we're ministering the gospel. Amen. Now, with that with all of that, you think about it like this: it's like, man, that looks great. You guys keep doing your work, keep doing good. They're not going to continue to do good unless you reach in your pocket and you give into it. Because I'm not going over there. I'm not going over there. I seen some of the video footage. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's not in a place that most Americans would even survive. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to say we're proud of that, and we're going to say we're all, we're all for spreading the gospel, and we want that to take, continue to take place across the world and take place, listen, the only way that you can support it is by giving into it. It's, it's not enough to look at your Facebook page and give it a thumbs up. That's right. Good job, guys. Yeah. Keep living in poverty. Spread that gospel. I'm going to go buy another new car. I'm not knocking that. You see what I'm saying? You get it? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that that missionary work does not get any attention whatsoever. And then we talk about supporting it, yet, but we don't support it. And so I'm giving you that as food for thought. I'm, I'm exercising you. You think, man, you've been a little hard on that, man. Look, I'm telling you, I'm all for the, I'm all for the gospel being spread. But I also believe that your actions will support what you believe. And I'm not for a second going to sit there and tell you that, you know, it's hard. Man, Tanner, i got to give into this, and i got to give into that, and i give into the, my kids' organizations. Yeah, Misty and I know all about that. With five kids, I feel like I'm just broke all the time. <laughs> I give in over here, and I give to this fundraiser, and I give to that fundraiser, and over here. And then it's like, well, how much money's left? I got a dollar. I'll give that to missions. Does missions, does missions, does the spreading of the gospel, is the spreading of the gospel just leftovers? I'm, not, I'm just asking. Is the spreading of the gospel just our leftover money? Man, we're so wealthy in this country, we don't even realize it. We're like, he'll give some of our loose change. Man, it seems like we need to make that a priority. The gospel. Example of gospel proclamation, part two. Paul and Barnabas moved inland to Antioch in the province of... Pisidia. 
believe I pronounced that correctly. I had to actually look that up on the internet. I was, my wife gives her approval because I always have to ask her and bother her with it. And so I was like, I'm going to go one of those YouTube pronunciation things. And that's how I knew how to do it. <laughs> Paul accepted the invitation to speak in the synagogue. This is where the debates took place. He began with the Exodus, drawing attention to God's grace toward Israel despite their re rebellion. Israel begged for a king to be like the nations around them. You remember the story? In response, God gave them King Saul. We all definitely know what happened to him, who was later removed for disobedience. He was always, uh, I was actually talking about this just last night. Remember what the story? He was always trying to kill David. Because he knew that the, the prophecy was on him to be king, and he was jealous of that. And so uh, there were many stories. There were numerous times he tried to kill David. So God removed him, and Saul was replaced by David. Paul introduced uh, Jesus as David's descendant, God's promised savior of Israel. All right, so there's a question here. It says, why do you think Paul used Israel's history when preaching in the synagogue? Because they knew it. Because they knew. They knew their own history. This is why we talk about history in here. This is why it, it, we talk about American history and kind of where we came from. And this is one of the reasons why they're trying to take history out of the schools and take history out of your eyesight. They don't want people to know where they came from. Because if you know where you came from and you knew, know the faults of your forefathers and you know the successes of your forefathers, you'll line up with that because you know it leads to success. I don't even want to tell you what taking history away from somebody is linked to. It's linked to a bad case of socialism that happened many, many times throughout history. Amer not just, I ain't talking about American history, I'm talking about world history. Everybody, anybody heard of Hitler? So just look at the look at the cue card. Look at the cue card and what they did. Look at what they did when he took over and they, they said, we'll be so kind to you. And then look at where they started. They started in the school systems. They started taking the history away from them. And they started putting up pictures of Hitler in the school. And they had to do the Hail Hitler thing and all that before they could even go in. And they sang songs about Hitler. And their parents didn't even know about it. And then they asked the kids, what are y'all learning in school? Well, you just learn all about him now. What? Well, by the time they decided to make an uprise, it was too late. It already taken over. So I don't have time to get into talking about that for sure. So we got to finish up. I'm sorry. Despite his innocence, Jesus fulfilled prophecy when he was crucified and placed in a tomb. God raised him from the dead, a fact attested to by many witnesses, by the 12 disciples, by 500 followers at one time, and by Paul himself. The resurrection confirmed that Jesus was the Son of God. So we know that's, that's the... That's really the crux of our whole belief system, right? Jesus is the Son of God. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's what you're actually proclaiming to people. You're proclaiming in that being spread and that people know the changes that happened in your life are connected to that. Amen. They're connected to that. They're, and it's irreversible. Like, you can't get away from Christianity. You can't unpack the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and unpack it from Christianity. You can't. But many are trying to do so today. They're trying to unpack that. Don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. Don't talk, talk about sin. Thinking, now why do you and I want to talk about sin anymore, but you say you're going to believe in Je the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then why did he die? Like, why did, why did he shed his blood and then go through the resurrection if sin wasn't an issue? It just doesn't make any sense. That argument shallow. And so 
that's directly connected to my faith. So I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, that's going to be what I operate from. That's what I'm going to tell everybody about. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about the problems I had when I was in sin and steeped in that stuff and how it affected my life and how it tore me up. Man, I had to get away from that. It was affecting me. A lot of people, for some reason, Christianity today is not talking about the sin issue anymore. It's not a, it's not a hot topic. Everybody wants to talk about how good God is. Now, I believe that God is good, and I'm not taking that away. But God is good because he rescued you from sin. Amen. <laughs> Once again, they unpack it. God's good, but don't say anything about sin. No, that's why he's good, because he rescued us from hell. That's what makes him so good. And so I, I want you to understand in your proclamation and when you're talking to people, be very matter-of-fact. Be very, be very matter-of-fact. People just want to talk about how good God is. It's, I start to get this idea that people are trying to be squeaky clean, and we're not squeaky clean people. Amen. So don't talk about the sin issue. It's kind of dirty. It's kind of nasty. You bet it is. It was a dirty, nasty issue, and it's still a dirty, nasty issue today. But there was only one person that shed his blood for it. Amen. And so st that still remains the center of our faith and the center of our belief system. So I'm out of time. Sorry. Um, I only got halfway through section two. <laughs> we had a lot of stuff to talk about, though, today. There's a lot of good topics. So I hope that you take some of this with you and, and, and implement it in your own life. But I encourage you, please be matter-of-fact with your witness be matter of fact with people that are in front of you and lastly be matter of fact with yourself if you got an issue you got a problem something needs to be resolved face it face it deal with it and let's let's uh let's stop pretending that we don't have issues because we are real people real people have issues out of time guys god bless you thank you <laughs>